And the rest of you, if you'd like to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 17. We're continuing our, our series called Not My Will. And uh, to prepare our hearts to receive God's word and to sober ourselves, but also to entice ourselves. Let's, let's begin uh, this, this morning uh, as we turn to God's word with a summons to the word. This particular one is taken from Psalm 119, Psalm 119, where we hear these words of, um, these words of exhortation. Uh, listen to what the psalmist says. I will never, I will never forget your commands. They make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light for my path. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be looking, it's on page 876 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. And just before I read that, I want to share a very brief story. Last year, I was, um, I think I hadn't been, we had, Sarah and I had moved here to St. Louis, and I hadn't been uh, coming, we haven't, I hadn't been here at the church too long, and uh, I was driving down, you know, just right over here as you go off uh, Telegraph Road, you can turn right up here on Heinz Road, and if you follow Heinz um, Road, you'll know, you remember that it's, there's some serious hills there. And I was, you know, being the very important person that I am, I was in a hurry. And to my frustration, there was a very slow car in front of me, driven by a person whose age I won't mention. And I was irritated. I was just like, doesn't this person get it? Why don't they get out of the way? I'm late. And, uh, and I was, we were heading down the hill, and I'm thinking, this is, I could get some serious speed on this hill, and I could make my way and just go, and this person was, was in front of me. And as I got to the bottom of the hill, um, there hidden in one of the residential lanes was, was whom or what? A police car. That's right. And I realized that this elderly person <laughs> saved me from a ticket. <laughs> a ticket that I would have surely have gotten. In fact, since then, in all in, in complete, so it's the word self-disclosure, I have in fact been pulled over on Heinz Road. In fact, but I, was, I escaped very mercifully with a warning, even though I was I was well over this, I was well over the speed limit, speed limit there. In fact, I was coming this way, and uh, I think it's 30, isn't it? 30, to 30 miles per hour in that area right there as you're coming down the hill, and I was doing 47, I think, in a 30. So your your minister was was out of control, reckless driving. So, but again, very mercifully got, got, got off the, uh, the hook with a warning. So, um, but you know, that's a picture, I think, uh, in this passage that Jesus is calling us to here, a picture of a God who gets in our way. A God who loves us enough to frustrate us and irritate us and force us to slow down and to realize that actually, um, that apart from him, we may actually be headed into real trouble. And so uh, with that, I just want to, let's go, let's go ahead and read this, this text here. This is Luke chapter 17. This is uh, just an amazing words from Jesus. It's continuing. We'll, we'll, I'll show you how it relates to the previous context here shortly. But again, this is page 876 in your pew Bible. Hear now the word of the living God. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. 
So pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain, like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will also eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he, is, because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you, were, all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty? The word of the Lord. So after um, moving, as a friend of mine, this is quite, uh, this is a number of years ago actually, after recently moving to a new neighborhood, he uh, was um, looking, happened to be looking, one morning happened to be looking out of his front um, living room window, and he saw what was an actually, a, 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 you know, to him, uh, an uncommon sight. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever particularly seen this, at least not in a residential context he saw a blind woman with a seeing-eye dog walking down the sidewalk. And as the woman passed his, uh, his, his home, or his front, the, the, the yard in front, ahead of the woman and the dog, just to his left, on, on, on the, the lot right next to him, the house right next to him, there was a car parked in the driveway. And the driveway was, was, was short enough that the car itself actually, the, the back of the car um, was in the, the, in the area of the sidewalk. So it was sticking out and it was actually blocking the sidewalk where the woman would otherwise uh, be walking. And seeing the car, the dog began to slow down and, to begin, and began to steer the woman on to, out onto the street and around the car. But the woman, I, it, it seemed to, to my, my friend, the woman having quite probably walked that way many times, right, signaled the dog to continue walking straight ahead. The dog refused to actually stop, started to slow down, refused to go on, and again tried to steer the woman out onto the street. And then they stopped. Just both of them just stopped right there. The woman gave some sort of signal to the dog with irritation to go forward. But the dog resolutely refused. And then the woman began to grow somewhat impatient, gave the go signal again one last time, and began to walk forward. And she, she was speaking loudly and indistinctly but irritably to the dog. And she practically was dragging the dog as she, as right as she walked right into the parked car. And stunned, she, she, she almost fell over. And then uh, she recovered her balance, and almost immediately she, she dropped to her knees 
and threw her arms around the dog, her faithful companion. And she shook her, sat there shaking her head at her own foolishness. And he was, talk, was talking to the dog and, you know, you know, um, you know petting him. And then she got up and she let him lead the way. You know, it's an interesting picture, isn't it? It's an interesting picture. Look back at our call to worship. If you can grab your bulletin if it's there in front of you. Look back at our call to worship. Taken from Psalm 66, and you see there are a few lines down there. It says this, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Weren't those words, as you were, as you were, as we were reading those words this morning, did you notice, did you take, sort of like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Then it says, we went through fire and water. Wow. There's a sense of trial, of testing, of struggle. It's interesting that, 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 that God would do that. That God would actually, the psalmist is speaking of God taking through hard times, refining, challenging, pushing back. Or consider another psalm. This is Psalm 119, verse 75. It says, I know, I know, O Lord, that you that you your your commands are righteous. Listen to this. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Did you hear that? The psalmist says, In faithfulness. This dog-like faithfulness, you have afflicted me. You have challenged me. You have brought me through hard times. You have pushed back. You have forced me to go in ways that I don't want to go. And this is something, actually, that is quite unique to the God of Israel. See, the gods of the ancient world were quite convenient. <laughs> they were useful. They, they, were to, they, were, they were there to do, in a sense, what you wanted them to do. If you gave them what they wanted, in forms of sacrifice or whatever, they, in theory, would give you what you wanted. They would return the favor. But not Israel's God, okay? He would actually say no. He would confront. He would challenge. He would discipline. And who makes that kind of a God up? Right? So let me ask you this one. Is this how we think about God? Do we think of God like a seeing-eye dog? Is that how we want to think of God? Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends. It depends on what? It depends on how well we think we can see. So let me ask this morning. How well can you see? Do you need a seeing eye God? Do I really, do you, do I, do we really want to be led? Do we want to be forced down paths that we may, that seem very counterintuitive? See, in our text this morning, Jesus is speaking about confrontation. <laughs> and as is usually the case, Jesus is altogether unrealistic and simplistic. Jesus doesn't really get it. In fact, I can remember um, one time I used to do quite a bit of uh, premarital counseling, and I talked to the couple. I said, hey, let's talk about um, you know, sexual intimacy. Are you guys waiting? Is it happening now? What's going on? And uh, there was kind of this uh, silence, and the guy said, well, it's complicated. And they said, no, actually, it's not complicated at all. It's actually relatively quite simple. <laughs> right? See, Jesus actually comes to us and actually, he's actually quite simple with what he's saying. Look in verse 3. 
Jesus says to me, says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. But again, for us, it's like, what? It's like, seriously? I mean, that sounds laughable. It sounds mean. It sounds puritanical. It sounds intolerant. I mean, what does Jesus know about relationships? What does he know about my relationship, my marriage, my family situation, my work dynamics? What does he know about that? It's complicated. What does he know about relationships? Everything. Everything. And Jesus here is touching on something that I think is simply uh, very counterintuitive but profound. Jesus is saying this, and actually if we stop and think, we can't deny it at all. Jesus is saying that any human connection without confrontation is counterfeit. Any human connection, I don't care if it's marriage, I don't care if it's father-parent-child relationship, I don't care if it's a work situation, I don't care what the situation is, any human connection that is void of confrontation will end up being, in a sense, a crock, counterfeit. And we see this everywhere, don't we? We see it in families where there are unaddressed family issues, and you realize after a while, you're just like, you know, this is just not even real. It's all a charade. Right? We see this in co- the companies that we work for. We see it in situations where someone just, you know, hey, there's this rule, and uh, you know, everyone's supposed to follow it, do this, but no one actually, the, 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 the boss or whomever, no one actually enforces it. We see it in marriages. We see it in churches, don't we? Uh, a, a fellow pastor friend of mine was sharing with me not too long ago about how uh, in his church, there were, listen to this, there were two women who got into uh, a conflict. In fact, one of them didn't even know there was a conflict. Do you know why? Because one of the women, over a period of about two years, kept getting what she thought, she thought was she kept getting offended by this other woman. And she would get offended, and you know what she did about it? Nothing. And she got it offended again. And what did she do about it? Nothing. And then she got offended again. And what did she do about it? Nothing. So these repeat offenses. And then finally, it, uh, just in pain, in, in just um, a sense of, of not knowing what to do, she went. Or did she go to the woman? No. Where did she go? She went to, to, to gossip about it with other women. Told about what happened. And then those women told some of the leadership. And the leaders heard about it, and they were incensed. And no one even bothered to talk to the woman. And so, so, so what happens here? Now listen, what happens here, see sometimes, and I don't know about you, because I'm very good at doing this. I'm very good at actually, someone can do something to me, and, and I th- they, they, they may say something, and I, and I take it, and I'm so sure that they meant to hurt me. I'm so sure that they meant to, like, I take it really personally. Oh, I take it uncharitably, and I don't say anything. And the truth of the matter is, I could be completely wrong. See, when we, when we don't follow Jesus' advice here, if, when our brother sins and we don't, we don't go to them, we don't actually talk to them about it, and we just presume that we're right, we are creating a, a, a massive canyon between us and them. So let me say this again. Any human connection without confrontation ends up being counterfeit. We see that in our lives. Okay, Now understand what I am not saying, because some of you are hearing, what you're hearing me say is this. You're hearing me say, any human connection without condemnation 
is counterfeit. There is a world of difference between confrontation and condemnation. Okay? And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. So look at, look at, Jesus, look at verse 1. Jesus' words here have a context. Look, look back at verse 1. It says, and he said to his disciples. What does he, Jesus, Luke mean, and? Okay, well, verses 1 through 10 are part of a much bigger scene that we've been talking about over the last, last month or so. It's a scene that starts back in chapter 15, verse 1. Okay, it's in chapter 15, verse 1, where we read that all kinds of problem people were gathering around to hear Jesus. These are what Luke calls the sinners and the tax collectors. And the religious leaders are angered by that. They, 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 don't, they didn't realize that Jesus was up to something in all of this. And what, what, what they wanted Jesus to do was simply to condemn these sinners and tax collectors. The religious leaders were super critical of these problem people, and they were convinced that Jesus should simply unfriend them on Facebook and never speak to them until they vote for the right presidential candidate. They were convinced that Jesus should just, just walk away. Don't even bother. Be why? Because they were ready to condemn. And in response, Jesus calls them, listen to this, he calls them to respond to these so-called problem people in a very different way. And in doing so, Jesus shows us how to respond. Okay, and we talked about it briefly, but I want to just see how this idea of confrontation must, absolutely must, foot stomp, foot stomp, must fit into a wider story. Okay? So it's, very, it's not hard to understand. This is very, it's, it's very important. Okay, if we are to understand, I'm sorry, if we are to experience real connection with others, at some point or another, there has got to be confrontation. And Jesus is showing us what that actually might look like. So if we are to experience real connection with others, we're going to be in real relationships, there are a, couple, there are a number of things that we must do. The first is that we must cooperate with what Jesus is doing. We must cooperate with Jesus. Look again, back, back in chapter 15, that's all of what chapter 15 is about. Jesus tells three stories to show us that he is up to something. And he's asking, he's turning to the religious leaders and he's saying, are you on board? I am here to rescue these problem people. If you're going to confront someone, you have first got to be on board with what Jesus is doing in their life. See, for me, when I go to confront someone, I make it all about me and how they're inconveniencing me. How dare they interrupt my life? How dare they do things that I don't like? And Jesus is saying, that is not, Clark, you're completely not on board with what I'm doing. See, I'm up to something. I'm up, I'm, 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 I'm up to this rescue operation. I'm here. I actually came for these problem people to help rescue them. And are you on board? That's what he's asking so see, when, when other people wrong us or when they hurt us in some way, it very quickly reveals the agenda that we're living for, the agenda that I've got. And Jesus is saying, look, you have no business confronting them until you first get on board with what I'm doing in their lives. Are you with me in your marriage? Are you with me in those difficult family dynamics? Are you with me in difficult church situations? Are you with me in your work environments? So the first thing we have to do if we're actually to think about confrontation rightly is to cooperate with Jesus. 
The second thing we have to do is to actually care for the problem people, to care for them, and to care for them at great cost. That's what chapter 16 was all about. Chapter 16 was about actually Jesus saying, you know what? Do you care about people? Do you care about these problem people? Well, guess what? Put your money where your mouth is. And he actually talks about wealth and says you're to use your wealth to spend it on those problem people, to invest in them. And he, the, the chapter ends with this, 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 this negative, this horrible negative example, right, of the rich man and Lazarus, where you have Lazarus presented as a nobody, and the rich man doesn't care at all. There is no willingness at all to expend any cost, any time, any resource on this poor man. Why? Because he's not worth it. He's not worth it. Why is he not worth it? Because he has no worth to the rich man. He's nothing to offer. See, if we're going to confront people, we first have to cooperate and say, what is Jesus up to here? The second thing we have to do is to care for them at great cost. To let them, before we actually confront them, to invest in them. To spend ourselves. Why? So that they know that they are actually, what, whatever issues they may in fact really have, that they are nevertheless worth it. They're worth it. See, because here's the, bottom, the underlying principle. Are you ready for this? God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make junk. He, every single one of you, I don't care how broken, how fallen, how messed up, how addicted, how enslaved, how lost, you are marvelous in the sight of God. He has made you like a snowflake, uniquely beautiful. And you have no business, we have no business confronting anyone until we have put our money where our mouth is, investing in them, not begrudgingly, not with a sigh, a groan, ah, but showing that we are in. We, we, so when we go to confront someone first, we cooperate, we get on board with what Jesus is doing. Second, we care for that person. We care for them at great cost. Okay? And so again, this is, I want to emphasize this idea of cost. If we haven't invested, if we haven't cared for them sacrificially, we won't have communicated the worth that they have to us. And that's the thing is that and so that's, what the, that's, what the, that's what the Pharisees were. Sort of, that's what they. That's what they in chapter sixteen they they sneer at Jesus. Jesus is saying, "I want you to go actually invest in those sinners. I want you to invest in those tax collectors." And they sneer at Jesus. And Jesus confronts them. He says, "You know what?" These problem people, they reveal what really matters to you, and it's money. Because you're not willing to spend a dime on these people. You're not willing to spend your time on them. You're not willing to spend your resources on them. You're not on board. You're not on board with what God is doing through me. So first, if we were to actually confront, we're confronted with the question of, am I cooperating? Am I really cooperating with what God's up to? Or is this about me? Am I just being inconvenienced? Secondly, we were confronted with this idea of, am I, do I really care for them? Or am I just sort of, am I not really willing to invest? Am I really a martyr? Am I really willing to give what's precious to me? My time, my energy, my reputation? 
But Jesus tells us the third thing. We're, if we're going to confront, we need to first to cooperate, to care, but also third, to critique ourselves. And this brings us to our text. Do you see there in, in, the, in the first three, well, the first two and a half verses of chapter 17? Let me read those again. Jesus says these words, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus says, well, wait a minute, before you go confronting anyone, what should you do? Maybe you realize that you're actually the problem. Stop, and in the very beginning of verse three, he says what? Pay attention, or he says, so pay attention to yourselves. Stop and just think, maybe I am part of the problem. That's what we did last week. Those of you who are kids, you remember, right? Jesus elsewhere in Matthew 7, he uses that, that, that really funny sort of picture of what? Of what if, I'm, if I see a speck of dust in someone else's eye, what's the, what's, what do I have to do first? Get the log out of my own eye. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, people are going to fall. People are going to fail. People are going to, there is going to be a lot of failure. And Jesus says, make sure you're not causing it. Make sure you're not actually in some way contributing and enabling that. You know, one of the biggest ways, there are two ways that we can cause people to sin. Not, not, not so that we're culpable. They're still culpable for their sin, but we can provoke them. You know the two ways that we can do that? First is that we give up on them. We may not look at them in the face and say, hey, I'm giving up on you. <laughs> but we don't have to, do we? Because everything, all our, all our actions, all everything that we say, just all, everything implicit, our body language, everything is already said, I've given up on you. And when someone has given up on you, why bother changing? Right? When someone says, you know, just, you're done. It's over for you. I mean, why would you change? And so my despair at times in my marriage, my self-pity, my despair as a parent, I'm actually, I'm actually being a source of a, a, a stumbling block my wife and being a stumbling block to my children through my hopelessness. You know what another way actually though that we can, we can be stumbling blocks in this way? Jesus actually mentions it here in verses 3 and 4. Another major way that I can be a stumbling block to others is by not forgiving them. I just don't forgive them. They, I, I just, I would never do that to anyone and they don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve mercy. I deserve mercy but they don't. And, and when you know that you're not forgiven, when you know that you can never be forgiven, you just, you just keep going on. You just keep sinning. Because it's like, well, I guess I'm already lost. It's already too late for me. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to confront, you've got to cooperate. You've got to be on board with what I'm doing. This is not about you. This is about me. Are you on board with the rescue plan? It's like it's not only cooperation, it's caring. Do I really care for this person? Am I willing to invest in this person? And third, it's, am I willing to critique myself? Am I actually willing to step, go back into the bathroom and look in the mirror to actually seek advice, seek counsel from others and say, am I, is this, is this me? Am I, am I, I'm actually part of the problem here. So it's when those things are in place that this idea of confrontation, this very crucial idea of confrontation 
This idea that, 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 like I said earlier, remember, without confrontation, every human connection eventually becomes counterfeit. It becomes fake. It just becomes, it just becomes something that, that's just half-baked. And so Jesus here, in this beautiful way, is calling us to confront, okay? But it has to be in that context, the context that I've just given, Okay, and what does that confrontation look like? Do you see it there? Look in verse, very simple. Look, in, look in, again in verses 3 here. It says, um, pay attention to yourselves. That's the first part. Then he says, then he, and now he's ready to actually talk about confrontation. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Well, what does that look like? Jesus just gives us a simple command. Let me just take a few minutes here and talk about what that actually looks like, okay? First, when you actually go to confront someone, the first thing you've got to do is to do it with humility. We've already talked about the first part of getting log out of your own eye. That's part of humility. But another part of humility is realizing that you may not have all the facts. So that when you go to someone, what you don't do is say, hey, look, I know you blew it. I'm here to let you know. You go to them and say, here's what I see. You just lay it out in front of me. Here are the things I see. Can you help me interpret them? What does that mean? I don't know. Right? So you just, you, you suspend a judgment. And you lay out the facts in such a way that they, they can go, oh yeah, I can see why you would think from those facts that, that doesn't look good, you know what I mean? And, and they may own it. They may say, yeah, you know what? Actually, you're right. I did do that. Or they may say, you know what? Actually, there's more to the story. There are things you didn't realize were the case. In fact, let me give you this. Is a, I, use this I, I've done, I have done this so many times in my marriage, in, in, in a home, in my family. You can ask my kids, my wife. You got Sarah and the kids. That I have prematurely, uncharitably judged them. And really, in ways that are just really hurtful. The classic one that I use, I remember Sarah and I were actually had not been married long. We were we'd married maybe a year or two, and Sarah has this amazing uh, raspberry chocolate cake that she makes. And she made it one weekend, and we came back from church, and um, it was, just, it was like, in a, what do you call it, a bunk cake? Is that what it's called? It's the, the bunk cake or the half, like the half donut shaped thing. And, and I was so excited to eat this cake. We just finished lunch and dessert. And I came back, I went to the bathroom, came back, and I noticed that a massive piece was gone. I'm just gone. And then Sarah was in the kitchen. She just wasn't facing me. She was facing back this way. It just kind of looked like nothing had happened. You know? And I said, this is Sarah. Where did where did the, where'd the cake go? Like, where'd the, like, where'd the big piece go? And she turns around, she rolls her eyes, she says, I put a piece in your lunch for tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, I just like, totally busted, right? I mean, it's just like, here I am, and here she makes the cake, and then she's making my lunch for the next day, and what am I doing? I'm accusing her. Now, that's a fairly light example, but there are a lot more serious situations where we can do, we can do that. We don't, we don't just actually lay out the facts. Say, wait, 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 hold on, time out. This is what I see. And realizing that often I may have the picture completely wrong. And when I don't confront, when I don't actually go to the person, engage them on it, and talk to them about it, and I just assume that they hurt me, that's not fair to them. It's not fair. They don't get a chance to clarify. So, wait, 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 time out, hold on. I mean, let's, let's talk about this. I think there's some other, maybe some data that you're missing here. That you need to know that once you see that, you'll be like, oh, oh, I see. You were making, maybe you're making lunch for me tomorrow. That might be an important piece of information to know before I start judging you. But the other thing is that when we don't confront, we not, only, we, don't, we, don't, we not only don't give the person an opportunity to clarify, 
but we also don't give them opportunity to confess. Because you may go to them and say, hey, look, this really hurt. And when you did this, and I, I just felt like this big, and I, I mean, I, it's just, yeah, I just really mean of you. And the person can actually see that and go, oh my goodness, you're right. You, you are totally right. I have, I've hurt you. I've wronged you. Will, you. will you please forgive me? And so when we don't confront, we don't go to the person, we're actually de- depriving something of what can be really beautiful. And that's, that's reconciliation. It's peacemaking. And I'm telling you, peacemaking is one of what was in, in this fallen, broken, insane, awful world, peacemaking is one of the most important or I'm going to say it this way. It's one of, the key, one of the great key ingredients to intimacy. Show me a relationship where there's no conflict resolution, and I'll show you a relationship where there's no real intimacy. Okay? Is that, is that, is that making sense? So Jesus here is calling us to just, his, his counsel here is not simplistic. It is not irrational. It may be very countercultural, it may be counterintuitive, but that just says a lot about us and our culture, right? Jesus knows exactly what he's saying here. He's calling us, again, to cooperate with what he's doing. He's calling us to care for the quote-unquote problem people. And the third thing he's calling us to do is to critique ourselves and realize that what? We ourselves are problem people. <laughs> Maybe not in those really bad, bad ways, right? But the people who murdered Jesus were not sex offenders, the people who murdered Jesus weren't adulterers. They weren't addicts. They were people who were filled with pride and self-righteousness and utter compassionlessness. They were so sure they were right. Do you remember what one of the, what one of the, what one of the religious leaders says? It's the high priest. When he hears Jesus, they're at the, Jesus is at his trial. And, and finally, the high priest asks him, are you the Christ? And Jesus gives a very, you know, a, a, you know at first he gives a sort of evasive answer. And the guy says, what, what, what does the high priest say in response? Why do we need any more witnesses? That is the theme verse for everyone who loves to critique and criticize prematurely. I don't need any more witnesses. I've heard everything I need to know. Now it's time to judge. Yeah. Right? But just stop and say, you know, I need to listen. I need to critique myself. And yes, I'm going to confront. I'm going to confront with humility, getting a log in my own eye, getting my facts right. And then when you go to grieve, guys, it's not only an act of humility. It needs to be an act of grieving, of sadness. Sadness. Yes, maybe eventually indignation and anger. It's okay to be angry. There's a time to be angry. There really is. As spouses, as parents. But it's not the first thing to, to, to respond first with grieving. Why do you grieve for someone when they've done something wrong? Because you care about them. You love them. You're grieving. You're grieving not just how they've hurt you. Oh, that really hurts. Oh, you failed my expectations. But I'm hurting for you. You were made for more. You're made for better. I see what you can be, and this is not it. Do you see? That's grieving someone, saying, oh. I, mean, I had a wonderful pastor, a pastor friend of mine shared this beautiful story. He talked about how his wife 
They were driving somewhere, and his wife says, I like to talk about our marriage. He goes, oh, really? You know, and so she would start talking, and, and he, he, she starts pointing some issues out, things that he could do better as a husband. And then, of course, he has this, this, this match. He's a pastor, so he, he can masterfully negotiate and maneuver, right, to get out of this. And he says, well, sweetheart, listen, I mentor a lot of guys, I disciple a lot of them. And he said, you know, I realize I have issues, but, you know, relative to these other guys, right? You know, it's, it was, if we grade it on a curve, yeah, I'm actually pretty good. And her response was beautiful. She said, I know that you, that you, relatively speaking, you've done pretty well. But here's the thing. We could be so much more. You see that? See what she was calling him to? It's just really a beautiful response. A beautiful, uh, and, and he, at that point, he's an uncle. Let's talk. And he was ready, he was ready to talk. because he, he, he realized that she was for him. She was, she was actually wanting to see him flourish. Okay, so this confrontation that Jesus speaks about is very important here. Okay, so this, so this idea of confronting, and it's only a, con- but it's a confronting that what? Is filled with compassion. Look at the, we're almost done here. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, the rest of verse 4. It says, it says oh, well, verse, verse 3, if, you, if your brother sins, rebuke him. That's verse 3. And if he repents, forgive him. Verse 4, and this is the amazing part, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wow, isn't that just crazy? Isn't that just crazy? Jesus is calling us to a radical, a radical forgiveness, a repeated forgiveness, a willingness to say, yes, I'm so on board. I'm willing to be patient. Why? Because God is patient with me. When I go impatient with someone, when I go impatient with my wife or my kids or with one of you, it says more about me than it does about you. Okay, so when we confront, we're to do these things, we're to confront. Now listen, this is the last part, it's very important. We are to confront as those who are convinced of God's sovereign power. Look at verses 5 and 6. We're to con- confront as those who are convinced of God's sovereign power. Look at verses 5, verse 5 and 6. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I mean, Jesus says, look, you've got to forgive and forgive and forgive. You've got to forbear. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's impossible. Increase our faith. <laughs> right? In verse 6, Jesus says in response, listen, it's not about fa- the size of your faith. It's about the size of your God. Do you believe God is big enough? He says, so even if you've got faith as small or like a, the grain of a mustard seed, it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the size of your God. So when you confront, you need to be ready to do so with a belief that God can do the impossible. Do you see? So someone, I, I, just, I, I confront someone or I challenge them. I think, you know, I can't see any way this is going to go anywhere. This person's never going to change. And I just, I, I know that because I'm a prophet. But we confront being convinced of God's power. That yes, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we, when we confront, we confront being convinced of God's power. And finally, uh, last but not least, this is very important. We confront as those who are not only convinced of his power, but are content to serve, content to be to serve. Because listen, this is the most important thing you need to do when you confront someone. Realize that you cannot control them. 
You simply can't control them. In verse 7 through, uh, through 10, Jesus gives us this picture. And he calls us to be humble servants, simply to be faithful and see what God does with it. In our marriages, in our parenting, some of you are parenting, you have adult children, and it's so hard. It's so complicated. It's so messy. There's so many wounds. The same in marriage. The same in all real relationships. There's a sense of like, I don't know if I can go on. And Jesus is calling us to something that's very counterintuitive, but very beautiful. And that's simply saying, he says, I am, you are here simply to be a servant. Not to control, not to change things, but to serve. And if you're doing that, and, and that's happening in your marriage or in your, in your relationships, and you are saying, look, I'm trying to do everything you're saying here, and I'm just, I am, I am at the end of my rope. I am on fumes. I so want you to come to me. Because Jesus is not calling us here to continue doing this alone. I, as, 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 your, as your leaders, we are here to come alongside you, to encourage you, to pray for you. If there are issues in your marriage or whatever it might be, we want to be involved in those, not to pry, not to just take over, not to condemn, not to control, but we do want to be a part of that, to hurt with you, to grieve with you, but also if we have opportunity to help you in confronting. Not, not to like, not to just throw stones, not to condemn, but to say, hey, whoa, wait, time out. There are issues here. And you're not gonna, we're not going to leave you alone in confronting this person. Why? Because this community is a community of change. And when, we, when, when, when you, when one of us is confronted and we refuse to change, we are voting ourselves off the island called the church. And as leaders, that is something that we actually have a very, very unpleasurable role of doing. It's called accountability. And if it goes to that difficult place, as leaders, that's why I guess I get paid. That's why Jim, Ron, and I get paid the big bucks. To say, look, time out. This can't go on. This, there's something here very unhealthy, and we, and there needs to be change. So I may ask you, are you ready for a God who is a seeing eye God? Are you ready? Is that what you do you want to be led? Not only do you want to be willing to be to be confronted, but also are you willing to care enough to confront, to risk the relationship, to actually love and love in a way that actually is is there to to say, you know what, I love you, I'm so for you that I'm against you. I so love you that I'm saying, no, this is not okay. Because Jesus loved us in that way. In fact, Jesus was willing to be treated as our enemy in order to make him, in order to make us his friend. He was willing to be utterly rejected by his father, utterly rejected by the world, so that he might then welcome us. This is the beauty of Jesus' words, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant here and now. And that's what I long for, Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd, I long for us to be a real community where we're all on board, we're cooperating with what Jesus is doing, that we have spent ourselves in a very costly way for one another in difficult, in difficult situations. 
where we have looked at ourselves and critiqued ourselves, invited, willingly, openly invited that kind of critique. What am I missing? And then in love and humility and gentleness and tenderness, confronted. Said, hey, I don't think everything's okay. Let's talk. I'm with you in this. And we do so just confident of God's power, just totally confident and also content, content to be servants. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is all of this is just so new. Jesus, what you say is just so foreign to our ears. It's so different from what the voices in our culture are saying. Voices that simply, on the one hand, just call us to tolerate, just to, to, to let people just go to their own demise, smiling, championing, just celebrating how they're being themselves, even as they destroy their lives. Or on the other hand, Father, just simply writing people off because they're so different. They hold the wrong views on this or that. Just, 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 they, they just don't get it, and we just, we just walk away. Father, help us neither to condemn nor to condone, but to confront as you would have us do it because we love the person, because we, we believe they're made for more. Father, thank you that you confront us with your word, that you challenge us, that you are that seeing eye God who loves to enter into our lives, to refine us, to grow us, to change us. Because, Father, you see what we're going to become. You see how one day we in glory will stand before you perfect and blameless. Finally, those whom you have created us to be, you see that, and you know it's going to happen, and so you don't give up on us. So, Father, please, may we not give up on each other. Lord God, I pray that you would just so overwhelm us by your love overwhelm us by your tender love and overwhelm us by your tough love. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.